Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Bridge to China podcast. Bridge to China is a podcast by Humboldt Tech Bridge and produced by ILU. With this podcast, we want to answer the most pressing questions European startups may have when it comes to China. My name is Max Glintert and in today's episode, I'm going to speak with John Kaller, a young European entrepreneur who has been living in China for a few years. He has founded his company in China and is going to tell us a bit about the opportunities and pitfalls he encountered while starting up. Hi, John. So happy to have you here on today's episode of the Bridge to China podcast. How are you today? Yeah, thanks for having me. No, I'm, I'm doing well. Pretty hot here in Beijing right now. But aside yeah. from that, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. <laughs> well, what's, what's the time um, over there in Beijing at the moment? Here in Berlin, it's slightly after eight o'clock in the morning. So quite early. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly a six hour difference. So right now it's just 10 minutes after two. A nice, convenient afternoon time for me right now so yeah it's it's it's, it's six hours right after right in front um, of germany time yeah. yeah perfect cool to have you here yeah and let's start with with our today's episode so you're basically in china for one and a half years now and you um, started your own company over there in Beijing. But my first question, I think also the audience would like to know this, how did your interest for China develop in the first place? I mean, you're from Europe, you grew up in Europe, right? But how did this interest came about? Yeah, so first of all, to kind of get that off the board, I'm actually been in China for about three and a half years. Just the last time I came back to Germany was one and a half years ago. So that's kind of the streak. But in, in total time, I've been in China for about three and a half years. And yes, I started my own company about two and a half years ago, the first one. Initially, though, how did my kind of my interest kind of start in regards to China? I was always very outward driven. I knew I never wanted to be in Germany for my professional career afterwards. So I was looking always for a place where I could stay and kind of advance myself professionally as well. Mm. And I think it's been particular over my university. We had the chance to learn Spanish, Ch Chinese. And I think that's when I had to kind of make my choice. And I think also in, China, in Germany, one of my best friends, my best friends in Germany, his parents were Chinese. So he was ethically Chinese, but he was German citizen. And I think that kind of also pushed me towards exploring China because China's so different and the difference kind of made it very interesting for me to go there because I also I always wanted to go to different places. I never was interested in the US. The US was too diff too similar to Germany, mm. to Europe. So I was always driven to go somewhere different. So I actually wanted had to make a, a choice between for me it was South South um, America and and China in, in, in Asia. And these were the two choices I was, I was going towards. And then I went to China for my first semester abroad in 2017. That's when I was the first time in China and then Right after graduation was my second time. Yeah, cool. Sounds so interesting. Um, and basically, after this interest for China formed, you were actually already safe that you would also like to start your own company over there. You, you started in Beijing. How did you decide this? Did you like right away knew, okay, I want to found my own company here? Or how, how did this come about? Yeah, no, that's... So actually, it's kind of my origin story. I think I knew I wanted to start my own company when I was 18, which was the first time I kind of started my an actual internship. When I went, there was my first time also working abroad in London. I did my own internship there. 
and I developed a very independent thinking and it kind of made me feel that I want to start one company. At that time, point of time, I didn't really know what that really entails, but I was really sure that I wanted to do something in regards to build my own project. And right, I knew that over my, my time at university, so all my internships, all my work careers were within different kinds of startups, within the insurance industry, within bike sharing. And then when I firstly came to China, I knew I wanted to start, I came to China with the intention to start my own companies. So I had no clue what I, what I faced, you know, I, at that point of time, I was really still green behind my ears. So I was just going to a different country and wanted to build the next unicorn. That was kind of my dream at that point of time still. And oh, it still is, yeah. but I was still very greenish at that point of time. But yeah, so it was very bold in a sense, but I'm glad I kind of took it because it pushed me to where, what position I am right now. So it was, it was a good decision to make. Okay, and by basically experiencing different companies and different areas and companies, how did you in the end end up with Unpack AI? Okay. Your company. Okay, so the first time, yes, two and a half years ago, <clears throat> which was my second time I came to China, I came with the intent to start my own company. I came with the intent to start my own company and went to Tsinghua University to learn Chinese because I knew if I want to start my own company, I, I should know the language, I want to really integrate myself in the local environment and, and ecosystem. So I studied about eight months of Chinese. And then right after that, during that period, I met my co-founder from my first company, which was not called Unpegai, which was actually called Shangjing. And with my co-founder, who I met um, in Tsinghua University, we started um, to build on Shangjing, which was initially a photography app where you can very instantly call a photographer to come to your location, take images, you can pay for the app and you upload the images for the app and you can basically download them. We did that actually for, yeah, we did that for about like six months. And at that point of time, after that uh, six months was actually a struggle. We, we felt the struggle of um, getting more customers. There was not really demand in the market. And we actually invested for every customer. We got the customer acquisition cost were way too high. And we quickly realized that's not the way forward for us. So towards the end with this company, Shangjing, I stayed with this company for one and a half years. And we moved towards the end to an in industry in China, which was the entertainment, the KOL industry, which is KOL stands for Key Opinion Leader, which is an influencer in China for many that might not have heard about the term. So the everyday Instagram influencer in Germany would be a KOL in China. And we want to build a data application for, for these kind of people. And we went to the industry and yeah, it was, it was tough. We didn't see the growth. And at, at some point of time, I also made a decision for myself that me and my co-founder at that point of time weren't really going to the right direction anymore. We had too much conflict between two of us mm. and I had to make the hardest decision to leave. And that was for after one and a half years, after studying Chinese for seven months, working on this company for one and a half years. And then I left and then I, I started building a project after that, about two months after that called Unpack AI. And that's where I'm right now, where we have now working on Pegai for about a bit shorter, eight months. And I think we've gotten so much for me personally, where we've gotten to a customer base, we've built a product and we've actually have a monthly revenue, which for me is something that I really kind of, I want to build a sustainable company. And I think we getting to a very, very good direction after only eight months. And that's something I'm very happy about. So that's kind of my origin story in China for the last um, two and a half years. Yeah, congratulations, definitely sounds sounds like a good trajectory. And yeah, especially that you also got off the ground with your new startup now. Can you also maybe 
explain a bit what exactly you guys are doing with Unpack AI? Yeah, for sure. So the vision we have is to enable as many people as possible to be part of the AI revolution, because what's currently happening, mm. obviously, in regards to AI, it's very, very impactful in everyday life. And we know that, right? And also, we have seen that more and more people who are either professionally involved in AI, but are not heavily technical, they want to know more about however they struggle because it's actually very, very difficult. It's not easy to just do an online, simple online course because they struggle, they, people, they don't have the guidance of mentors and they cannot do it on their own because they're not technically enough. On the other side, they, yeah, so essentially that's what we want to provide. We want to provide help to get more people who are not necessarily technical to be part of the AI revolution, to break into AI and understand AI, maybe not have from a heavily technical perspective, but understanding from a perspective where they can build their own AI. They will understand the limitations. They will understand what they can and what they cannot do because we want to really transfer the idea that AI is on magic. And that's what we do with Unpack AI. And we do that by having, currently we have, monthly and boot camps, which are part-time, affordable, and, and very easy to kind of like be part of, very accessible. And we're running these monthly now. And next week, we're actually starting two of them at the same time. And we kind of get more and more business professionals into the field and they actually can work on building their own models because we've been able to simplify the kind of process so much that you as a business professional, within two weeks, you can actually build your own model using your own data. Obviously, mm. if you still want to build your own model from scratch and you're going to go very much into detail, you will still have to learn in regards to building a tech. But we kind of have stripped it all down to enable anyone to, to build something like that. And that's kind of our goal with Unpack AI. Yeah, yeah I think it's a, it's a very good point, especially where nowadays you hear the, the term AI and machine learning everywhere, but most right. of the people don't really know um, what's behind that, right? So. I think it's a, it's a good initiative. Did you, did you also have this in mind when you decided to start up your company in Beijing? Did you think that this would like be the best market for that? Or do you also have international customers that you lead through this program? Yeah. How, how does it work? Yeah. Okay. That's a very good question because I think with my, my very first company, we tried to build a Chinese product for the Chinese market and over these one and a half years, something I realized that for me, someone who comes from the West, from Germany, to come to China and imagine that I can build a better product for the Chinese market as a foreigner, it's very, very tough. It's something that really doesn't really build on my strengths. So that's what's kind of a learning for me for over the last one and a half years. And something we've then adjusted to with Unpack AI is that currently 90% of our customers are foreigners in China. Why is that? It's essentially for us a way to build um, a sustainable company in the very first and for us to understand the product better and actually get off the ground. However, we are still in China. China, in regards to technical advances, is right up there. And in China, you have the case where you have a huge workload of many, many, many technical um, people who want to get into the tech side because so many Chinese are very much, like if you look, if you compare the amount of computer science students that come out of universities every year in China than to any other country, it's, it's a huge, huge, huge difference. So what we're seeing now actually in the market in China is that we have a lot of um, front-end and back-end engineers, essentially en uh, technical people that are not focused on AI, but focused on building um, software. And what we are also trying to do within the next few months is that we want to help these software engineers to transfer them to AI engineers. 
because we have seen that more and more people want to do it because the um, salary that you get at an A engineer is also higher. And slowly but surely, the skills of a front end back engineer are still important, but they are getting less and less critical, especially now in the AI evolution. And especially in China, who's trying to be the AI head of the US by 2030. So there needs this talent. And currently, there's a lack of talents in, in Chinese companies in China. And we want to be part of the teaching and the education of actually helping more people to transform some software engineers to AI engineers. Why do we do that as a foreign company? Now we build towards our strength because something I've learned before, I wasn't working my strength as a foreigner in China. With this Unpack AI our company right now, we're building on the image of that the best AI education materials out there are still in English. All the papers are in English. So everything's English. So there's, there's still an advantage of being a foreign company teaching AI in China even. So obviously we'll have to um, localize it and everything, but um, still the, 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 the expertise of having international is still very, very helpful for us as a company. So that's kind of how we view right now. We started mm. off as an international company, kind of serving international clients and customers. However, moving forward, we definitely want to go into the, the local market. And something I've never told anyone before just now even is that we've also going to reach out by um, schools, high schools who want to teach um, their students so high school students mm. to get them to wow. know more about ai and that's 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 why do they reach out to a foreign company why because um, in china there's only track in regards to getting from high school to university however in germany in particular there are a lot of vocational schools and that is something that china also wants to push forward and a lot of people want to support that alternative aside from university and mm. That's where a German or international company can really dive into as well and really help out and provide these kind of courses and help more students kind of get the vocational training aside from just university. Yeah. yeah, super, super interesting area. Definitely have to say that. And would you in general say that Beijing is a good space for you to have started your company? Um, does it have advantages to, to other Chinese cities, for example, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a very good question as well. I've looked into that actually a lot. So I, I still believe, some people might disagree, but as a tech company, Beijing is still the best place. Why? In, if you look at you know, how many universities there are in Beijing, especially in the northern part, there are a lot of, a lot of universities here. And also the two best universities in China here, which is Tsinghua University and Peking or Beida, uh, Beijing University. Mm -hmm. So what that actually is essentially entails, the best talent in regards to tech is actually here in Beijing. And aside from that, also there are a lot of initiatives, Beijing initiatives that try to push Beijing to be the tech hub of China. So that then it kind of also goes into grants, into a lot of office spaces, a lot of incubators, a lot of accelerators that are based here in Beijing. And what is now the difference, for example, cities like Shanghai or Shenzhen? Mm. Um, Shanghai is still is, 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 it's very, it's very international, but it doesn't have such a tech focus like Beijing has. Shanghai is very finance oriented. However, you can imagine that still, because Shanghai is so uh, international, there are a lot of foreign companies in, in Shanghai. But if you look for the best location, not necessarily as a foreigner, but essentially for Chinese and foreigner in, in China, I would still argue that Beijing is still the most the most suitable place for a tech company. For a hardware company, you should probably go to Shenzhen because Shenzhen is still the hardware hub of China as well. So for tech company, I still believe Beijing because of grants, incubators. I've never paid a penny for office space in my last two and a half years. 
I, for office space. So, nice. which is like, which would normally follow startups be a, a cost, but it's so, it's such a bad way to spend your money, especially when you're early stage. So I've never spent anything on office space. And over the last two years, I've constantly had office space to go. And because you need kind of a location to register a company. And that's why I think there's actually great space here in Beijing for that. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Th thanks for the insights there. In, in regards to, to starting up your company in China, you also had contact with a lot of um, Chinese people who started their companies, right? So uh, it would be super interesting to get into the differences between the mindset of, of Chinese startup founders and maybe European or in general Western ones. What would right. you say are the main points? Yeah, no, that's um, so actually as a foreign founder, it's actually not as easy to kind of integrate yourself with the Chinese ecosystem um, and Chinese founder ecosystem because there's still a disconnect there because a lot of found, foreign founders in China also don't still speak Chinese. That's one of the reasons. And obviously there's also, there's always a disconnect between the West and the East. However, if I, if I was luckily to also, I was lucky to also integrate myself as much as I can and still, and I think one of the main differences in particular to Western founders is that Chinese founders are very, very aggressive in regards to how they approach marketing and regards to how they try to do their business development. They're very aggressive when it comes to customer acquisition. I'm sure if you look in general at companies in China and the West, that the marketing budget they have in China is a lot bigger than they would have in the West. And that also shows for this for startups where in, I always make comparison. Uh, I don't know if it's that fair because I've never done my own company in Germany. But what I know from, from Germans essentially is that in Germany, they there's a lot of investment in time plan into planning how to do the next few steps, right? How to do this and that. And the difference I feel like in China is that um, it's just being done. Instead of planning it, it's being done. And what happens as an outcome, if maybe in Germany, you might not make as many mistakes, simple mistakes. In China, you would make more mistakes, but the learning curve is a lot higher and quicker. So because the, the, the pressure in China is that if you don't act quickly, somehow it's going to act, act quicker. So kind of like, uh, Chinese founders are more, a lot more aggressive when it comes to growth of their companies. I and mean, they sometimes take many avenues, which might be seen as legal, maybe, uh, legal, you know, more, maybe very risky. So just to get this growth and kind of like grow quicker than others. And that's one of the main differences I've seen. Another difference is that I think in, in I mean, in, in, in companies in particular, the Chinese leadership is a lot, Chinese leadership in regards to a, a leader, a manager delegating, passing on tasks a lot more common than it is, for example, in the West, right? And the rest is a more individual and independent working style. Mm -hmm. uh, but for example, something I had to learn as a founder here was when I had my own team, I had to give more precise instructions, but that was something I learned as well. And I mean, then also leadership style, I think I'm not, in the beginning, I necessarily, necessarily was no one who is very strict and very aggressive in regards when it comes to leadership. And I think that's something I had to learn as well. But I think, honestly, I think the same is probably true in the West as well. If you're just a nice guy, you will face a lot of issues. So, but I think these issues are more quickly revealed in China because it's very easy to kind of like be pushed down by others here because you really have to fight yourselves because you also think of there's a huge population. So if you don't fight for yourself, and maybe family will, but no one else can really help you up, right? They will just, it will go, they will tramp over you. There's a very high competition, it shows in school, it shows everywhere. And it also shows in regards to uh, competition and found in between. And you, you talked about this steeper learning curve. 
in connection to that, what were your biggest setback, you would say, like during the time starting your companies, uh, working in China? Maybe you can tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think my first starting my first company and investing one half years into it and then leaving and being kind of back to zero, that was a big step back, um, step hmm. back for me personally. Right, because I invested so much energy into that, and in the end, I didn't really get anything out of it. And I don't think we made as many progress as we could have. There was a big setback there. Also, I mean, if you look at the company perspective, in mean, my first company, we had we pivoted. Was the pivoting right? Was it not right? And then again, back to zero, back to zero, building on a product again, and then launching it, and there are no customers. That's something that you read about in so many books, and you, I've read about it myself. But I think it's, 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 it still happens so many times, even if you read about it. So it also happened during my first company. Yeah, I think these are main step backs for me. But honestly, I didn't really have a huge kind of like wow, explosion and everything was dramatic. It was still fairly okay. It was just after I left my first company, when I was kind of set back, I kind of had to realign myself. And it was a bit tough, probably one of my toughest times. But wasn't I still kind of argue it was super super negative at that point of time cool because this is kind of a live format here we also get a few questions from the ilu community uh, we talked about this before we also have one member here who would like to ask a question christina christina if you want you can pose your question to hi can you hear me just checking yes. the voice okay. Okay. Yes. okay um yeah thanks for the conversation so far it was very interesting And my first question was, you talked about your team and that you learned a lot about team leadership and so on. So if you're looking for team members now, what qualities are you looking for? Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a great question. So something I was very, very much undervaluing before was basic sense of, of, of values and ethics. So something that before I was like, oh, you know, ethics, values, it's not that important. You can use, I can get used to anyone. But now what I would look into now is that someone who shares my basic values, my basic values in regards to how you respect and talk to others. Is it very, um, is it very easy to get aggressive or something like that? Something that I wouldn't really see in myself. I now look for other people who kind of share similar kind of values and similar kind of behaviors when it comes to con basic conversation. We can argue it's very difficult to kind of like figure that out during an interview. It is. So something we've been doing now, we... We've tried to, we try to kind of like get people part of the team and make them kind of temporary partners on the side and work with them for one of our classes. And we see how it goes. And based on these kind of interactions and that experience, we make decision to kind of make that part and make that person a long-term partner of our team. But yeah, so we really try to look for people who share the same kind of values when it comes to self-respect and respecting others and also kind of having a very, very um, respectful level of communication with other people. Yeah, really interesting. We also got a few other questions sent in also in regards to how you would decide new people when uh, starting your own company. So we got one question from Lily who asks, what is exactly needed to found your company in China as a Westerner? And do I need a Chinese co-founder? Okay, so yeah, now you go to very like starting um, questions, right? Yeah, I mean, like it this you can, any foreigner can come to China and start their own company. There's, you need a visa, right? But initially at least, and you don't need a Chinese co-founder. You can, I am right now, me and my co-founder, I'm, I'm German, he, he's Russian, 
and we mm. essentially register our company and it's a wholly foreign-owned company. It's a kind of entity in China and it's it's an easy way for us to start our own company without needing an, a Chinese legal representative or co-founder. And you can argue if you want to get certain funds, then you might not be approvable because you've fully found a company. However, especially in the beginning, I think that's nothing we really look towards. And even if we want to do that, we can still register another company with a future Chinese co-founder, which would then be a Chinese entity. We couldn't make it like that. So there are many ways to kind of approach it, but um, especially um, early stage where you want to start, I'd rather just go the Chinese way, just do it. Don't plan too much and just register what you can with the resources that you have, with the co-founders you have. You don't necessarily need to have a Chinese co-founder for that. Okay, I see. And um, also, what would you say are the, the main steps that you should plan if you do it? Would you say there is steps that you should plan or just do it, as you said, Chinese style, don't think too much about it and just go there and start? When you say like, when you say that, what is the context? Is the context here, you are currently in Germany and you might want to start your own company in China or what's the starting point? Yeah, for example, like I think the, the main audience of us also located in Europe. So people in Europe who maybe have some ideas about startups but they are thinking hmm, maybe i want to i want to try and start my company not in the us not in europe but uh, in china so what would you say are the the important steps that you have to plan ahead in order to right. do that okay exactly so if you really want to start your own company in china and i think you will have it's, it's you will at some point have to be locally present and i think mm -hmm. one of the best ways to enter china as a country is to enter China as a language student to, to learn Chinese because it gives you it gives you access to university resources where you can get an, where you can uh, register as part of an incubator, which is what I did. Tsinghua mm. University is an incubator, and it essentially all gives you kind of an easy way into China. And based on that situation, you can then look at the market, right? Uh, you can start testing your your product, your service while you're a student, and then if you kind of see some kind of um, some kind of like demand there and you really want to go for it you can then go towards your local university incubator and then register the company and get then after that entrepreneurship visa which is something you can get if you register the company uh, mm. actually, i'm actually about to get my, my third third one in a row which is everyone is one year so the third one i'm gonna get for with, my, with unpack guy i mean it's one year visa that you get after registering and after going through the entire process of the visa registration it's fairly easily to attain yeah but you need an incubator for that so that's kind of step step as process come to china as a language student learn chinese go to a university incubator start registering oh, and while you do that start testing your product and if you feel confident start registering a company and yeah get your own get yourself an entrepreneurship visa <laughs> yeah sounds pretty easy how you explain it yeah one one other question that, that we got in about basically yeah, the, the whole bureaucracy and, and law topic in China. So we actually got one question from, from Gordon, who is asking what, what kind of challenges did you face regarding the tax and law regulation in China? And what were your personal experiences in that regard? Okay, so um, I think the, yeah, I think we had to, let me first, before I talk taxes, let me first talk hmm. visa. I think that's something that is, a bit like sensitive here i mean obviously visa and we were in a situation where we are talking to poli uh, police officials we're going out for drinks 
and with them and at that point i was like threatened if you don't drink the beer i'll remove the visa from you like these kind of things is something you face which sounds like from a movie and actually happened if you can really do it i'm not sure but i'm not willing to kind of like take the take on the challenge so that's something that happened in regards to, to taxes especially as a as a start i mean it's going to be more and more serious right i've, I've reached a point where where we start our company for one and a half years we didn't get to crazy amount of revenues where it got so bureaucratical <clears throat> but especially yeah. early stage you can fairly easily for 300 yuan which is about like 40 euros 40, 47 euros you can get an accountant who handles all your taxes you can for free register a bank account with with a bank local bank here and they handle everything for you you have to have have to sometimes provide invoices so it's actually not that complicated when it comes to taxes in the beginning right i i imagine it becomes more and more more and more complicated because the more money is involved the more stakeholders will get will want to get some part of that and the more sealed gets but they didn't reach that point just yet so early stage when you make some amounts of revenue it's okay to kind of be fairly you have an account and then it's fairly smooth however then aside from that you also have to think of something like ip and copyright you have to your name right your name your brand and that's something you all have to register and that can sometimes be a hassle because the process is sometimes fairly if you if you work with some Chinese partners, can sometimes be not very transparent. Sometimes mm. you have to pay. That's what I heard. Oh, when what what happened to us actually? I don't know if it's true. Um, is that we had to pay more money so it gets quicker, which is then because that money goes directly to the person who handles it. So some kind of a small, small, small bribe, which is obviously being hammered down in China. Right? Don't get me wrong; it's not super a lot of bribing there. It's very, very minimal. But that's something that happened to us. So it's a bit untransparent. However, you can also go the way with an international partner, which is also like in, in to kind of register IP, it's going to be a bit more expensive, but it's this, mm. these are the quite important things to do to kind of protect your brand. But yeah, I mean, aside from the transparency, it's not as bad. I mean, I think the stories a lot of people hear is from like, you know, Michael Jordan wants to come to China and his IP was already registered, right? Because it first comes first serve. Like this, this is what's so dangerous, right? If you're not the first person and your brand is like more international, then it's a lot more complicated. And then you get into a lawsuit for like many years, but it's a startup company. The issues are still, you can keep them fairly simple at the beginning at least, yeah. Yeah, and, and would you say from your experience that the, the time that you, needed for filing those registrations and so on was it fairly quick and, and fairly digital or uh, took it a long time because like just from the experience here in, in europe and especially in germany it can take some time to to get like your your filings and so on and it's not not very digital as well sometimes yeah no i think also so it's i still it's it might not be super digital but it can be quick if you push it forwards you can probably get the whole registration done within three to four weeks and the whole company okay. is done and registered and and my if you work with some if you work with an incubator which are not difficult that difficult to get them because there's so much demand for more innovation in china and so there's so many innovate uh, incubators who are willing to help you if you come through some of these university channels for example and so kind of in regards to speed you obviously still have to be in, in person it was still sometimes super difficult because it's all in chinese and the process is very targeted The amount of foreign founders who register for holy foreign company is fairly small so the systems are not optimized for foreigners so sometimes you'll be overwhelmed by these documents but that mm -hmm. normally person helps out and um, from the incubator if you do it with the incubator if you do not over agency the agency will help out but yeah the process itself is 
we could have gotten it done in three to four weeks if we would have wanted to. So it's fairly quick, actually. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. There's actually one more question from Jonathan that I would like to take in as well. And that's basically about how you are collaborating within your company or in companies in China in general. So he asks how to set up your team collaboration and the team culture between Europe and China. I mean, especially when you are working remotely at the moment, I guess, together with Europeans and Chinese and what tools are you maybe using for that? Yeah, that's, it's like, it's like a ballistic question. No, I mean, <laughs> in regards to collaboration, let me first talk about certain tools that, you, that can be used here. There's tools for, for chat, which is kind of, that kind of is Google, Google Drive, chat, and kind of task collaboration all in one. It's kind of like, Ding, it's called Ding Talk, one of them. Another one is Feishu or Lark, which is the one developed by ByteDance or TikTok and mm. the mother. And these are pretty good tools. It can be very nicely used um, here because, you know, sometimes the VPN has struggled to use Google Drive. And that's why these tools are very nice to use when it comes to kind of like culture, culture in regards to culture. So what we try to emphasize is that we still, even though from a previous experience where you have to give more concise instructions, I think what we've never emphasizing is that um, we still emphasize a very individual and very independent work, work way of working. And I think um, what helps is that kind of it's very international. So people kind of push each other up. And I also know that Chinese people, they, they, they are willing to take on more responsibility the more you push towards them. Even though, especially coming from like schooling system is very narrowed down, there's still a, a big world to kind of like go towards to kind of take a more responsibility. And I think if you kind of build a culture around that, which is what we're currently trying to do, we have seen more of kind of like having been a, being able to work with across cultures. And that's simply because we have, if we have people from um, Germany, Russia, Netherlands, France, like many countries working together. And then you can see how the diversity also really pushes everyone forward. And also from the other side, right? I mean, then you also see the, the working ethic of the Chinese kind of going over to, <laughs> to the other kind of culture where everyone works just harder than they would probably normally do. And that's, that's, that's great to see. The, the good aspects, you know, obviously still working healthy, but the good aspects are kind of being pushed together. And I think that's, that's has been working out fairly well. But again, I mean, like, I think that the experience I made from previous company was a bit more, more extreme because the team was 90%. And I think now it's a bit more balanced, which makes it so much easier for me. And also, honestly, like being especially the first like very basic team would be very beneficial for as a foreigner to work with some of a Chinese national who has been abroad speaks English perfectly rather than diving right into kind of having this huge culture difference kind of especially for the for the foundational team it's just something that makes a lot more sense right um, if you've been in China for 20 years and you speak Chinese fluently you can bridge it yourself but if you're just fresh and um, it makes sense to not need to bridge these kind of culture barriers because it's actually very tough to get through. So just find someone, especially initially, who can help you bridge it and you can meet in the middle. Yeah. And in order to find a person like that, would you also advise to go through like an incubator or accelerator or to universities? What would you say is the best way to, to get to know someone like you just described? Yeah, so I mean, I met... Um, so we were initial uh, co-founding team of five, four people, four people, mm -hmm. and we all met at Tsinghua University. That was either through activities, there are a lot of club activities, universities. And if you are kind of, 
you, I mean, you go to university and also to make connections, right? That was also my initial thought. I go to Tsinghua University because it's the best tech university in China. And that's where we made most of our connections. And that's where we found the entire co-founding team. And yeah, so that's what I would recommend to other people as well. If you don't, not studying at a university, you can always go to many different kinds of events. There is a huge ecosystem, a huge startup community in, in Beijing that is a bit foreign, but also a bit Chinese, right? Where you get a nice mix of an international community, start startup grind, super, super huge, and other communities coming out as well. And so these kind of events are also super helpful because it's nice to meet your co-founder not necessarily for a co-founder matching website, but finding mm, them yeah. through a different kind of setting where you get to know each other, you know, not necessarily talking over your next venture already, but kind of get to know them as a person first and then realizing, oh, that person actually thinks that they like, like I do. And then you can start something together um, if you want to. Yeah, yeah uh, thanks a lot for, for these insights. I think very valuable to, to our listeners. I've got one last question for you and that would be, what's the most crazy or memorable thing that you experienced so far uh, in your time in China? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I <laughs> forgot. I mean, I kind of mentioned already, I think that one of the craziest things um, that I didn't even fully finish, finish talking about was when we went drinking with a few police officials mm. and after over a beer, I was kind of threatened over my visa. And even after that, what evolved after that was that we I uh, went to a KTV with the exact same group and we entered a room where part of the KTV there was also 15 prostitutes lined up for the, the, the participants of this this particular event. And this was something that was so crazy. I was like, holy shit, what's happening? And so that was one of my blown out movie kind of experience um, that I made on my road as a as a founder here in China. And by the way, this is illegal also in China. So this kind of like the, the, these kind of things, there's a lot of gray area still when it comes to following the law, who really follows it, what's really following, right? Mm. I mean, is illegal, is not. So these are the kind of things that, that many companies are also kind of writing on the, on the border of, which, you know, sometimes also makes sense because there's so many rules in China as well. It's almost impossible to follow every single one of them accurately. So sometimes you just kind of like, no, this is fine. It's, yeah, but these are just so my, my main from best experience was what I was talking mm. about. It came all almost right off the movie. So yeah, cool. Well, John was really a pleasure to talk to you and very, very great insights. So thanks a lot for being on, on this episode. Yeah, and all the best for you and your startup for your endeavors in China. And hope to yeah. have you on here soon again. <laughs> yeah thanks thanks for having me i'll keep you guys updated and I, i hope more and more people will make that dive towards china there are a lot of cool programs lo locally that people can also go to even from germany a few i just talked about and yeah if there are further questions you can also, also feel free to reach out um, to me directly um, i'm sure i can leave my socials and uh, yeah happy to help out and give more advice yeah yeah we'll put them all in the show notes so people can reach out Cool. Thanks. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bridge to China, a podcast by Humboldt Tech Bridge. If you want to find out more about what we do, head to our website humboldt-tech-bridge.com. For feedback, you can write us an email at info at humboldt-tech-bridge.com. 
This podcast is produced by ELO, the community of European and Chinese changemakers.